Like I said, hard work. You go out there, you put it out there, you get a following. Now the labels have changed. They don't bring people in and develop them. They look for artists that are developing themselves and have a following. And they, you know, it, the tide has turned. So you have the power as artists and pretty much to go out there and, and make them see you. Welcome to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast with Bree Noble. Bree is a musician, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Women of Substance Music Radio and Podcast. Bree's interviews with successful female musicians and industry pros are both inspirational and informational. She also answers your questions about the music business. Bree is on a mission to help you create great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business, and to truly become a female entrepreneur musician. Hey, this is Bree Noble, and I want to thank you for listening to Female Entrepreneur Musician today. I am so pumped about the interview that I did with Andrea, and I cannot wait to share it with you guys. Not only is she the CEO of Song Driven, and we'll ta- be talking to you songwriters out there, but... She also worked for a record label, a major label, for many, many years. So she's got a lot of insight on record labels and on how the industry has changed. So you are really in for a treat today. I want to encourage you to subscribe to the show on iTunes so you can receive the show immediately as it comes out on Friday mornings. And if you're enjoying the show, we'd really appreciate a written review and rating on iTunes. We are giving away CDs and merch from our guests every week to one lucky reviewer. I'm going to read our winning review this week, and the prize is some merch from Aaron Dickens, our first guest on the show, who was one of the founding members of Manhattan Transfer and now has a line of cooking-related merch that has to do with her CD, Java Jive. She's got a cookbook and some spices. So we'll be giving away something from her arsenal to this reviewer. And this is quite possibly my most favorite review ever. So if you guys want to top this, I encourage you because this is a fantastic review. This is from someone who's really enjoying the show. They feel like the show is speaking directly to them. And that just makes me feel so amazing because I know that the content I'm putting out there is really helping people. So this is a review from Chanty B. It says, What an awesome podcast that feels absolutely tailor-made for myself and so many other female indie artists I know. I love how relatable and informative the guest's experiences are, and it's comforting to know that I'm not alone in my struggles as a female musician. Thank you so much, Brie. The new week can't come soon enough. So congratulations, Chanty B, and please contact me at Bree, B-R-E-E, at femusician.com so we can get you your prize, or you can contact me on Facebook. My page is Bree Noble Music, or on Twitter, at Bree Noble, B-R-E-E-N-O-B-L-E. And lastly, before we get to our guest, Andrea, which I know you're going to love, I want to mention that at femusician.com, not only can you get the recordings to these podcasts and listen to them anytime you want, read our show notes and see some pictures of the artists, but you can also get my new guide that I think is really going to help you. It's called 19 proven sources of income you probably haven't considered. So I've gone through things that I used in my career and then other people that I've talked to, what has worked for them in their career, and just some creative ideas beyond just selling CDs and booking shows. So I hope this helps you out. And 
also be watching at femusician.com. There are some big things coming very soon, so I'm super excited. But I am ready now to get to our interview. Here is our interview with Andrea, but first I'm going to read a little bit about her. Andrea Stanley spent 28 years working at Warner Brothers Records, 16 of which were in the international department, and 12 were working on databases that they used to run the company. She retired from Warner Brothers in 2004 to develop a collaborative songwriter's site called Songs, Inc. After seven years, they saw over 1,825 new songs created with 128 sync placements, three indie cuts, and many, many holds, which are still ongoing today. In 2013, she founded Song Driven which was founded because, in her opinion, there are so many great songs out there and not enough artists to cut them. I'm going to let her explain a little bit more about the concept of song-driven later in the interview. But for now, here's my interview with Andrea. So that's a little bit about Andrea. Andrea, is there anything that's not in your bio that's a little bit more personal that you like to share with our listeners? Oh, boy. Are you talking about personal that's happened to me or personal that's happened to me in the industry? Well, you know, anything that would be interesting, and then maybe just a little bit about your your family. Oh, well, my family, actually, my uh, great-great-grandfather was the first singing mayor of Glendale, uh, believe it or not, and I think that's probably where I get my music from. It it sort of skipped generations. Uh, uh, um, His children were not musical at all, but then their children were musical. My father was an actor, and uh, my uncle was an actor. My uncle did mostly stage on Broadway. Um, My father did television, uh, which I shied away from. I just sort of leaned towards music and found that that was the safest place to be. No one could see me writing a song. That's true. (laughs) So have you lived in L.A. all your life? Yeah, I was born and raised in Glendale, actually the same house that my great-grandfather had built. Um, Our family sort of grew up there, all of us, including my children. And wow. uh, uh, I've loved it. it. It was perfect for me. It was close to Burbank. Warner Brother Records was in Burbank. I was about 10 minutes away. And uh, I eventually lied my way into Warner Brother Records and was able to make them like me. And I stayed there for about 27 years. Yes, I definitely want to find out how did you get that job? Because I think a lot of our listeners would be really interested in that. Well, I don't know if you could do it today, although I would encourage people to, you know, you go after what you want in the way that you think people are going to get you that job. And I don't mean to do anything unethical. But for instance, me, I went in saying that I could type, I could take shorthand, I would do whatever they wanted me to do. And the interesting uh, part of that is that I knew that if I got the job, I would learn how to how to type, take shorthand, and I would work the extra hours to make it happen. Um, I indeed did get a job with the vice president of international who thought I could take shorthand and type. I was able to say, give me three weeks, and he did. And man, I crammed for those three weeks. Wow, that's pretty gutsy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you know what? Anybody listening out there, go after what you want and go after with all your heart and soul. But remember, you're going to really, you, you got to work for things. You really do. And so once, obviously, you didn't stay a secretary, how did you kind of move up through the ranks and what areas did you work in? Well, the interesting thing was I was in international. I was the executive assistant to uh, the vice president of international who actually set up all the international territories for Warner Records. It was an invaluable um, 50 years with him. And International is a mini record company in and of itself. And very quickly, what that means is that in International, we do tours, we do marketing, we do promotion, we do advertising, we do press, um, we do merchandising. Um, Whereas the record company has 
has, uh, for the U.S., has a separate merchandising department, promotion department, A&R department. And when you go and work in those departments, that's all you learn. So I learned everybody's job, basically, that was in the record company because I did it on a smaller scale in international that's really cool. So you're getting schooled in every single area versus just learning one. Exactly. And wow. And I was very lucky. I can very quickly tell you how I moved into the other areas. My husband is a genius programmer. I don't mind saying that. Um, <laughs> and in the 80s, actually, um, my boss, my international boss, we had seven people in the department all doing different things that I just mentioned. And he would have to have them come in one at a time to explain what they were doing. And I asked my husband, could you network this department um, long story short, he did. So my so on a computer, my boss could see all the input of everybody going into one report. And from there, um, I moved into analyzing all the other departments outside of international. And my husband started building the systems that are in use by Warner Brothers Records today. Wow. I mean, in the 80s, that was a big deal. Nowadays, it's like, well, yeah, no, of oh, course you'd have them networked, you know. But You're right. Well, in the 80s, you know, the we were the first department in the record company, Warner Records, ever to be um, networked. It was the first time they wow. tried it. So once that happened, everybody wanted it, and it just blew up from there. So who are the some of the biggest artists that you got to meet while you were there? Oh, I've, I, I have a list. I, I try to remain <laughs> humble, and, and I will let me preface it by saying that I truly am um, grateful for the job I had and never, ever took, granted, took it for granted. I also understood that there are a million people that would take my place in a snap. So I'm going to list a few people that I worked with and I was per, was able to get personal with. And um, I say this with all the humble I can muster because it was an honor for me to be able to work with Madonna, Prince, Fleetwood Mac, uh, Van Halen, and the list goes on. Wow. Yeah, those were huge acts in the 80s. Oh, yeah. They, wow. they were they were great. It was wonderful to work with. Uh, I also was able to intern with Madonna's sister, who was just an absolutely amazing uh, woman and uh, love her today. She's just awesome. Wow. So what year did you leave the label? I started in 76 and left in 2004. Oh, my gosh. So did you kind of start to see in those ending years the changes that like online music and Napster and things like that were how they were affecting the label? Oh, yeah. Uh, um, big time because I'm, you know, I, I joined or got my job, lied my way into the job thinking I was going to be a songwriter who was found, you know, and, and, and get famous. Um, everybody who works in a record company has another gig. They are artists, they are writers, they are whatever, hoping to be, you know, making this a launching pad. And for the most part, um, what happened to me happens to them. You start, if you're good at what you do, you, you remain. So I was real good at the business part of it, but also had this creative part that needed to be, you know, um, satisfied. So when I left in 2004, I put, I started to build a company called Songs Inc., which is a songwriter collaborative company. Um, and to fulfill that dream of mine that I always had as a songwriter. Now, were you writing along the way while you were working full-time at the record label? Well, I was, and I don't think I answered your, your previous question, but yes, I was. I didn't get any hits. I got a few sync things, and I knew how that worked. But yes, I was able to see how actually songwriters were starting to lose their, um, um, not rights, but momentum and share of the pie, as you might say. I could see that coming through some of the business things that I was doing at Warner Records. It wasn't the label's fault. It was just the, the, the tide of the electronic media and everything else, which, by the way, I love. 
I think that the internet and all the things that are going on have opened up an amazing world for songwriters and artists. And we're going to have to, you know, fix a few things to get songwriters um, their share of this pie. And I'm I'm positive that will happen. Uh, but yeah, it it changed pretty drastically for songwriters specifically. I agree. I think that the you know the internet just space that we didn't have before to to get noticed as an indie artist. Yes. Like before you just had to rely on the record labels and hope and pray that someone finds you. And, you know, here we are people, we, we can make ourselves heard, which is, was not really possible before. I think you're absolutely correct. I can tell you as a fact, we carried about at one point about 223 and I might be off by a little bit. So anybody who knows for sure, don't come back at me, but about <laughs> 223 artists at the record label when I was working there and maybe four made the label money. Oh, and and, oh my gosh. and basically, it, because, you know, it was all we could recoup, we whatever, but that's that's how it worked. And uh, that was it. 223 out of thousands and millions, uh, you know, people that are writing or that have some talent or artists that are trying to get known, that's a small piece of the pie. It's very difficult to get in there. Oh, yeah, it really is. And it's amazing to me, working with my independent artists at Women of Substance, just how many independent artists there are out there, people that want to be in the business and, you know, there's just, there was just no space for them before. And now they can kind of make their little corner of the industry, which is, which I'm always encouraging people, you know, there is a corner for you. Oh, absolutely. And the beauty of the technology that we were talking about is that you go out there, like I said, hard work, you go out there, you put it out there, you get a following. Now the labels have changed. They don't bring people in and develop them. They look for artists that are developing themselves and have a following and they, you know, it, the tide has turned. So you have the power as artists and pretty much to go out there and, and make them see you. It's true. And I feel like the labels, I mean, I, I understand the situation of the industry, but it almost makes me feel like the labels are a little lazy. Like we have to go out and do all the work ourselves and then they'll pick us up, you know, but I understand where they're coming from because it's not as easy for them anymore. And they need to basically bank on a sure thing you know, someone that's already proven themselves. Well, they do. I mean, what people didn't know, and I got to observe in the label, is that it, there's more aspect to just talent. You have to be sort of stable <laughs> because <laughs> you can be a talented artist and have a breakdown in a year because let me tell you, the workload, the hard work, what you've got to do as an artist, it, it takes a certain kind of person to be able to do that. So while uh, they would bring, we would bring bands or artists into the label and start to develop them and pour in money. When I say money, it averaged about a million bucks a band before you started to recoup anything. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. Um, and you'd find out, oh, Joe hates Tom, and they're going to break up. And, and I mean, the, uh, for instance, if you read about Fleetwood Mac, they stuck it out. They stayed together. But the internal conflicts that were going on, I mean, they, they could have easily broken up. The band would have gone. And what happens to the label when all the money goes into an artist who can't handle the pressure or has personal problems? Yeah, it does make sense. It does make sense. Yep. Now, I have to say, as far as Songs, Inc., I remember finding you online. Um, I Actually, I only connected it when I read it in your bio. I was like, that's right. I remember that she did that. <laughs> and I thought that was a cool idea because, um, I, you know, I used to do that kind of work. I used to get some instrumentals from people and they're like, we, you know, I don't, I write instrumentals. I need someone to write a melody and a lyrics. And I would just kind of listen to it and get inspired from it and write a song out of it. But I'm really interested in, you know, what happens to the person that writes the instrumental part? Because um, as some of our artists may not know, and some people really don't know this, but 
a song is actually the melody and the lyrics. That's correct. Right? That, that's absolutely <laughs> correct. Um, what we what we did is we um, put together contracts for what we called the track owners, the people that owned the instrumentals who would give them to us. And the contract said that you're going to let songwriters all over the world listen to your instrumental, download it, and and be inspired by it, and be able to create create new melodies and lyrics inside that instrumental. And I hope I'm not losing anybody here, but if you play, you know, just the instrumental without a lead. And then add the lead, uh, like Moon River, da, 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 da. Well, that's the song, not the instrumental under it. That's the production. So we would have people, the track owners, we would say, if you do this, you're going to own a percentage of every new song that's written. You'll be paid royalties on every download. You've got 60% of the download fees, and, and they average no less than about $1.87 a download, and usually between $3.50 and $5.00. Uh, and uh, um, you will have rights to all these songs that people are creating with your instrumental track. Plus, if they use your track in the production of the song, you will be a 50% master owner of that song. Oh, okay. So that makes sense. But So how did you deal with that with like the, the pros? The pros we went after, it was a 50-50 deal. I had a very, very dear friend, um, a sweetheart of a guy, John Stone, who actually he was windswept Pacific – um, uh, top-notch publisher. He was the president of them for like 10 years. He loved what we were doing at Songs, Inc., and he put me in touch with a lot of pro writers and a lot of pro companies who gave us their tracks, and uh, it was a 50-50 deal across the board for them. That, and, and I saw the, the statistics that you had. What, how many total um, placements did you get and how many um, well, I forget all the statistics. Why don't you give them to me? Well, I'll try and remember them because I had to look them up and I don't have that in front of me. But I think it was 123 placements that I know of. I mean, things like Heart of Dixie, Justified, uh, some of the sync, sync placements, a couple of commercials in, in Europe. And it's ongoing. About, I'm going to guess, 1785 to 1800 songs that were created through this process. And wow. uh, we have many songs on hold, although the on hold process isn't what it used to be, but it, but it, it gives us credibility. And uh, we had, I think, three or four indie uh, artists who cut songs who are still shopping deals, so those songs have life. And um, some majors uh, have taken a look at the songs. Wow. And how did you get an income from that? Did you take a percentage as, you know, an admin for running the whole thing? I did. It, I didn't make a lot of money. And, and uh, that's for another conversation, possibly, about how to make money. <laughs> but I took a percentage of the download fee that would help me. I, I, I spent eight to 10 hours a day working them and making sure contracts were done and, and filing songs because we, we vaulted everything to make sure that it was safe. Um, and we took a percentage. So we took uh, 40% of the pro download fees and, and uh, 60% of the um, what we call the amateur um, track owner download fees. Okay. Well, that, that makes complete sense to me. I mean, you need to be able to pay yourself to run it. You can't do it for free. Well, yeah. And we didn't take any rights we, we at all. It was just, you know, just that admin fee and you guys are collaborating and hopefully you'll make a lot of money and that'll, you know, bring people back to us. Right. And is that still going now? No, I, uh, I, I stopped it for uh, several reasons. Um, I can take a sideline here and let you know that in 19, excuse me, 2013, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, caught it early, went through the chemo and the radiation and uh, kind of had to back off on managing the so Songs Inc. process. 
At that time, I was also really engaged in putting Song Driven Idea together with a great friend of mine and an awesome songwriter, Kenny Lamb. Um, and uh, at the end of the process of, of the, what I went through, I decided I'm going to set Songs Inc. aside for a while. We're going to close it down, and I'm going to kind of concentrate on Song Driven. Well, that's a great segue because I definitely want to talk about Song Driven. I love the concept, and I don't know how many of our listeners have heard of it. So I why don't you give them a little bit of a synopsis of what it is, why you started it, and what your mission is. Okay, well, the, the, <laughs> the mission, let's start with the mission. And I don't have a mission statement that I can read to you, but I can tell you that the mission is is to get songs that are never that you're never going to hear, and the, and I'll get to that in a minute. And songwriters who write those great songs that that so far nobody's ever going to hear, out in the mainstream, noticed. The concept of song driven is, and the fact is, is that there are great songs that are written that will never get cut by artists because there's too many of them. We only have, remember I went to like the 223 artists that are signed by a label. Well, on radio, what do you have, a top 50? You have a top 75? How many artists are there really that you can name, okay, that are really radio um, friendly out there that got all the hits? There are songs that are pitched to them that are great songs that never will be cut just because it doesn't happen to fit the artist who's, who's going to cut the song. So I call them song, great song graveyards. And I want to find a way to resurrect those songs and at least find some way to get them out to where people can hear them and also give them new life. Basically, that's the concept. I love that. And, you know, I get songs like this on Women of Substance all the time. And they're cut by people I've never heard of or they're, you know, they're, they've used a Nashville um artists to record it and they're not getting any kind of credit. They were just done through a demo agency or something. And, you know, so I always feel like I need to put the artist name and I don't know what to put because they'll say like, oh, this Nashville demo company and I can't put that there. So I'll put the songwriter. But I mean, these songs are amazing. A lot of them I get through Broad Jam. Yeah, yeah. And these songwriters are just like, you know, how is the song not being recorded by a major artist? This song is fabulous. And and the singer that sings it is fabulous, too. I, I, like, I know. Why does nobody know this? Well, I know this. And it, that's what I saw also at the label. We'd have many, you know, songs that come in and, and, and we'd have like one artist would cut 20 songs. And of course, only 10 were going to make it. And the other 10 were going to go in there, you know, into the vault um, and maybe never be resurrected again because everyone's looking for the newer thing. Uh, the point is, is that there is space out there for this kind of concept. There is space out there for like the Grammys to, they honor, you know, new artists. Why not honor, um, the, the best top five songs you've never heard mm, and the song that would be and cool. the songwriters you write them and give, and give a platform to them because you know what we need, um, we need to hear these songs. We're not going to solve the problem where they all are going to be heard. Uh, the, the web actually does that. You can go out to Johnny Smith's, you know, um, website and over here to Sarah's website and to Broad Jam, and you can hear these great songs if you take the time to do it. But we want to kind of get the cream of the crop or an opportunity for them to really get recognition and have a space on radio. And, oh, yeah. And, and the point of it also was we have demo singers that do this. Publishing companies, 
when they pitch songs to artists, major companies all over the world, they go and they demo the song and they find a great demo singer and they demo it and they pitch it. Um, when it's not cut, they just take that demo and they put it aside. Well, I'd like to resurrect that demo. I'd like to go ahead and, and repay that demo singer a portion of, of whatever needs to be repaid. I'd like, if the musicians have to be paid, that's fine. And I'd like to bring that song to life. I'd also like to call it by one artist's name, like Song Driven, because then all the royalties that come in for Song Driven against that song, okay, all the artist royalties, would go to the songwriter, while we still take care of the singer and we still take care of the musicians. That's part of the process that we're talking about as well. Wow. Now, if I've confused you on that, I'd be happy to try and retrace that. <laughs> well, I think I get it. I, it's interesting to have the artist's name be song-driven. And I know I've had a few of your songs on Women of Substance, and we have put the artist's name as song-driven. But I wonder if that confuses people when they see it on the radio. What, what has been your response from that? Absolutely. I'm, I'm here to tell you the truth. It absolutely, <laughs> it absolutely does. But we are here to break new ground. We are here to get the, the public to understand that song-driven, okay, when you hear a song by song-driven, you are hearing a song that you would never hear before. It's been one of those great songs that an artist hasn't cut, and we're just giving it an opportunity for you to hear it. So mm. you, we are trying to, um, I guess, get people into the habit of understanding what song-driven means. Oh, there's a song that hasn't been cut by artists yet, and it's a great song. That makes sense. So you become synonymous with that. And I'm sure you probably get, oh, this new band, Song-Driven. You know, people probably think that's the name of a band or something. Well, we do. And, and it's still a nut that we're trying to crack and, and trying to think of more encouraging or better ways maybe to present this. Um, we have a couple songs that we sent to the Grammy committee, and they got very confused about what we were trying to do. They said, no, who's the artist? And I said, look, you don't have any any category here that doesn't allow us to put a song in without an artist. Well, it's got to have an artist. And I said, no, it doesn't have an artist. All we want to do is concentrate on the song and the songwriter. We want the songwriter to get his or her due. The demo singer's being paid. Everybody's being taken care of. But this is about the song and the songwriter and not about a song that's been cut by an artist. I, I love the concept. Getting it across is the hard part, but you know, you keep knocking, 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 knocking on their head, maybe they'll get it. Yeah. If any of your <laughs> listeners have ideas, uh, bring it on. But, but, but we, we know it's just a matter of um, persistence. Right. And I have to give a shout out to a Women of Substance artist, Betsy Walter. She is a huge proponent of what you're doing. <laughs> she's always sending me stuff of yours because she's one of your, you know, one of your writers. And I, I you know, well, she's, she's a really good spokesperson for you guys. She is not only one of our writers. I consider her a right arm. Um, and and mm. this is the, the type of encouragement and enthusiasm that we need. And we get a lot from our songwriters. But, but Betsy is the one that has been really pushing this and really working it. She gets it big time. She's a songwriter. She sees what happens to, to songwriters under these great songs. She gets it. I love her. A shout out comes from me as well. Couldn't do it without you, Betsy. Thank you so much. <laughs> Now, are you trying to match these songs up with artists? Because I saw on your website that it says if you're an artist, you know, you can get involved. And how does that work? Well, because we're looking at creating a, um, a huge database of these uncut songs, if you would, um, these song-driven songs. And think about it. If you have artists that are really looking for songs, it just gives another exposure that, man, okay, here's song-driven songs 
that haven't been cut. I'm uh, Kelly Clarkson, and I'm looking for this really great thing. And I've got uh, there's 15 out here that I can go take a look at and, and listen. And hey, I like it. I think I'll put one on my album. Mm. Now, once they're cut, even by an indie artist, are they still song driven? Like, are they only uncut, or you no, consider what, them forever? Here's the du- here's the double plus. Um, all song all songwriters want what? They want their song cut by a major artist. That's when you really start to make the money. But if nobody hears your song, it's not going to get cut. So we're, we're trying to open up this avenue of all these great songs and try and get some industry um, st- uh, standing and people to see and some room where they're going to allow this process, this concept to thrive because it'll drive artists to the site where all these songs are to look for songs to cut. Okay. But do you feel like once a song is cut by an indie artist, then somehow it's like old news? Or is that still no. you know, available or interesting to a, a major? It's still available and interesting to a major. A great song is a great song. Uh, it, it, uh, if an indie artist is you know, out there and, and is on radio, the, the competition would be tough. That probably wouldn't happen. Um, although, what, it was Trisha Yearwood and Leanne Rimes who sang the same song and you know, both went to number one at the same, right. same year. Uh, that's rare, but it doesn't negate the process of what we're trying to get the exposure for these songs and also allow these songs for sale and also allow the sale uh, that comes in that, uh, the artist share actually goes to the songwriter. Right. And, and so if someone is an indie singer songwriter, but they've got a great song and you like it and they've already cut it on their album, you'd be okay putting that into song driven as well. I absolutely would. Okay. I just wanted to clarify that because we have like tons. I mean, we have plenty of just songwriters, but we have tons of singer songwriters that have put out albums that, you know, of course, have gone gone noticed by their fans, but probably not in the mainstream. Correct. And they are there. They need to be the song. Because remember, if you're if the songwriter's singing his or her song, I have no problem with that as long as they understand that the focus is on the song and them as a songwriter, not as an artist. That'll fall into place for them naturally. But really, song driven is all about let's get songs and songwriters noticed that are not having a chance to get noticed. Right. That makes total sense. And are you doing, do you have an arm that's working on some sync licensing for those songs as well? We do. We are in the, you know, I'm going to say baby stages and, and it's two years in and that's, um, someone says two years, baby stages. It, it takes a long time to get, um, people behind you and momentum going to get some, a brand new concept off the ground. So the answer is, short answer is yes, we are working on that. We are looking at major publisher to come in as a partner. We're looking at more funding, which is probably for another conversation um, because you don't want to take money or get money until you really have this process and this idea um, squared. And uh, um, we are in the early stages, but we are persistent. Yes, you definitely are persistent. I'm curious, I, I have seen your ads um, on the Airplay, Airplay Direct emails to a lot of radio stations. And some of our artists do that, and some of our artists are interested in doing that. I'm curious if you've gotten a lot of plays from that or a lot of interest from those ads. Uh, I have gotten some. I like Airplay Direct as a sort of a, a beginning launching pad to try and, and get some relationships with some of the um, uh, terrestrial stations as well as internet stations. Uh, out there. I I think once you start to go into the big time, I think Airplay Direct is probably um, um, 
not where you want to go. It's one piece of where you want to go. But uh, I had some good input. As a matter of fact, I um, had a couple radio interviews off of radio airplay that uh, I think were very positive and, and boosted a couple sales for a, uh, a few songs. That's cool. That's, that's encouraging. Well, before I ask you, um, you know, how our artists can get involved, I just want to know, is there anything else you want to let us know about Song Driven or anything else you think people may misunderstand that you'd like to clear up? Uh, I, I welcome anybody to come and send me an email and I'll try and clear it up. I know that sometimes it's a hard thing to wrap your head around. We assume that a song is on the radio um, of its own merit, but I, I want you to really think hard. Sometimes songs are on the radio because a certain artist cut it. Um, and it, it, it may not be the greatest song in the world. And all I'm trying to say, is, and that's okay, which is it, that's how the business works. I'm just trying to get songs heard, a little piece of the pie, including award shows, songs and songwriters mentioned who, who don't have songs cut by an artist, but they're great songs. Um, I did think of one question. I wanted to ask, how do you select the, the songs that you choose? Obviously, you don't take every song that's sent to you. Uh, no, we don't. And, and really, we haven't had an opportunity yet to, to get into the meat of uh, songs. For the most part, Song Driven came off of about nine or ten song writers that were part of Songs, Inc., and these were great writers. I had many years to work with writers, and we had some really wonderful writers. And I asked them if they wanted to get involved in the, in the first song-driven process, and we put together a Christian Volume 1 album with these uh, um, writers. And that's how we chose the first set of songs, understanding that there are thousands out there. And um, we, have, we're, we have the ability to listen to a lot of publishers' old back vault uh, demos, and I think that's where I would start besides having songs come in. It's a subjective process. I'm not going to lie to you. There is a subjective process where you think a song resonates. But I've been in the business long enough, Kenny has, and a lot of people that I work with to really know a good song versus um, one that might need a little more work. Yeah, I agree. It is a subjective process, but there is definitely a certain core that I think you know, is going to be probably the same whether I listen to it or you listen to it. We're going to agree that's a good song because I listen to tons of songs all the time. And, right. you know, I, I know how that can be subjective. Sometimes sometimes it has to do with the way the artist sings it that makes me really like the song. But there are definitely songs that I can say that's a good song no matter what. Yeah, exactly. And and we try to, to, to look at that. And we also require a good demo because what we're trying to do, you know, a professional demo, we, we are really trying to then put all these in into a database where when people come in and listen, they're listening to quality produced, great songs. And do they need to come with you with their demo in hand already done? Or do you provide them with resources that they can use that, you know, it's going to be a good demo shop, you're going to be impressed with the quality? We do both. Okay. Because sometimes I think, you know, people don't know where to turn and they think they're getting a good demo and it really isn't a good demo and they've already paid for it, you know? Yeah, that's, that's tough, but we can. And I encourage um, writers to send in songs that are just, you know, their guitar, their vocal or whatever. Um, like I said, I've been doing this long enough and a lot of the people that I work with have, we have a lot of people that listen and uh, you can tell, man, there's, this is a good song. I produce it differently, but this is a good song. It's worth maybe us talking about getting it produced. 
And so how, how do they get involved? Do they go sign up on their web, on your website? They just sign up. There's a, uh, um, a songwriter sign up on that page and, um, we put them on a mailing list and we, when we're ready to start the next album process, we'll let them, we'll get them notified. Uh, we have a long way to go, but we are pretty excited about uh, getting people to listen. So you're doing them by albums. Are they going to be kind of themed? I know the first one was Christian. I played a few of those songs on the station. Yeah, we have I, uh, contemporary. I mean, um, contemporary country coming up. We have a we have a pop one that's slated, um, a rock, and there's others that are kind of in the wings. Well, definitely sounds like a lot of our listeners can submit some music for those. Oh yeah, please send them in. Wow. This will be fun. Great. Great. So what's the website and what do they do? Uh, songdrivenmedia.com uh, or songdriven.com. We, we let you get there either way. And uh, just go ahead and follow the sign up and then we will get them notified of when the next project is on the docket. And at that, that point, we'll open up for submissions and just send in MP3s and lyric sheets we like to read um, while we're uh, listening. Definitely. Lyric sheets always help. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been such an informative interview. All the things that you have done in the music industry, I think that our listeners are really going to learn a lot from this. Well, I've been very lucky and uh, very privileged to be a part of something so wonderful, and I don't take it for granted. And um, my my hope is is that everybody gets to, to realize their creative dream. So dream on, guys. Totally agree with that. Thanks a lot, Andrea. You're very welcome, Brie. You have a wonderful day. Now go out and make great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business. Female Entrepreneur Musician has been brought to you by femusician.com and femalemusicianacademy.com with editing by Brie Noble and music by Stella Ronson.